Couldn't have timed that any better right there, could have. I mean, it's just like we, we planned that. Uh, good evening. That's not pretty good there. So uh, good to see you guys this evening. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And tonight, we're going to get back into our study of 1 Timothy. I know it's been a month, and I've, I've missed it, and I hope you guys have too. Let me remind you what 1 Timothy is before we jump into this tonight. 1 Timothy is an instruction manual to the church. Uh, God doesn't want us to do church any way that we want to, so he gives us an instruction manual. He says, here's how church ought to be done. Here's how church should be done. Here's how church must be done according to, to God's word. And I believe we're living in an age when the instruction manual is being lost on a lot of churches. Most churches in our day doesn't look anything like the instruction manual. It's lost and you can tell it. Uh, just a quick story before before I jump into this. 
we got uh, Christian a drone for Christmas. And I thought that would be the easiest thing in the world to fly. And we took it outside and Steph's like, don't you need to read the instructions? I said, I can fly this thing. I can do it. It ain't no big deal at all. We got it out in the yard I, we, and, and we laid it down there. And then I said, here we go. Turn that thing on. It's, it went straight up in the air. And it just kept on going and going out into the woods. And me and Christian ran and ran and ran after that thing trying to, to find it. We ended up finding it in a briar bush somewhere. And I got home and I said, we might need the instruction manual. I, um, and I say that many churches are finding themselves in the briar bushes because they're not going by the instruction manual that God has given us. Uh, there's a whole lot of churches out there that don't look anything like this, and we need, to, we need to open up the Word of God, we need to look at it and say, whatever this says we ought to be, we're going to be that. Especially when it comes to this topic tonight, which is pastors. I think the most important uh, part of the church is who leads the church. As goes the pastor, so goes the church. So we need to make sure that our pastors are qualified to be the pastors. That they meet God's standard of a pastor. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. It's a very high standard. It's God's qualifications. And um, God's telling us here that not just anybody can be a pastor. And he narrows it down, and we'll see exactly what he wants a pastor to look like. I, I was going to title the sermon, What God Looks For in a Pastor, but this isn't what God looks for. God qualifies the man. This must be what the church looks for. So I want to look at this tonight. I, I want to look at what to look for in a pastor. Uh, So let's stand together. I'm going to read these verses, verses 1 through 7. And the answer is godliness, a godly character. It's not really giftedness as much as it is character. Look at what it says here. You'll see there's only really one, one gift, and the rest of it's character, who he is, not what he does. So starting there in verse 1, and I think this is relevant for all of us, not just for me. But it says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a, of a bishop, of a presbyter, of a pastor, of a shepherd, of an overseer, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be. This is non-negotiable. This is no compromise on this. He has to be this. Blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient. Not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how in the world could he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So there they are. There's, there's 16 or 17 of these. These are the qualifications that a pastor must have, non-negotiable. So let's look forward, look, look, look at tonight at what to look for in a pastor. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and that we aren't just doing church however we feel like doing church. That we don't have to do church the way the world wants us to do or the way uh, the opinion of man wants us to do. But we can open up your word. I love First and Second Timothy and Titus. The pastoral epistles, the, the letters that show us exactly how to do church. So God, help us to line ourselves up, and me in particular tonight. This is, this is aimed at me. This is, I've got a bullseye on my chest, and I have all week. And God, I, I pray that you'd help me to meet these qualifications, that I would live these things, not just on Sunday, but every day of the year, for the rest of my life, I would be this. As an example to the people in the church, so that they'll be these things. This isn't one standard for me, God, and one standard for the people in the pews. This is your standard for all of us. It's just the pastor is the example of it. So God, help me to be that. And help me to teach these things tonight, please. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's a pastor in North Carolina in one of the biggest churches in America. And not just one of the biggest churches in America, but it's one of the the most popular churches in America. I could tell you his name, I could tell you the name of his church, and most of you would probably have heard of this man. And this man is young, he's an excellent speaker, I mean he's charismatic, he, he can keep anybody's attention. He, he's got tons of young people that come to his church and they can sit and listen to him over and over and over, and people just eat it up, they love to listen to this guy preach. He's educated, he's successful, he's clever, he's cool, he wears cool clothes. He looks the part. He, he's not traditional like the, like, uh, like most churches are looking for today. We're going to go away from the old days and into some new days. He attracts young people. And most importantly, he has 3.6 million followers on Instagram. 
I, don't, I didn't see that qualification on here. But this pastor is everything that the world looks for in a, in a pastor. This pastor is everything that a man would look for in a church. This pastor is everything that, that young people look for in a pastor today. This is what the type of pastor that, that young people flock to. This is the type of pastor that, that young people love to listen to. This is the, the type of pastor that most search committees, if they brought him in and he had the qualifications of young, excellent preacher, educated, successful, cool, hip, clever, 3.6 million Instagram followers, that they would say, sign him up. We want him to be the pastor of our church. That's what the world looks for what most churches are looking for it's what man looks for you say well, what's the problem this guy sounds like a, a great man let's see if we can get him here <laughs> the problem is john MacArthur was asking in a question and answer one time what he thought of this man and he said i got one word answer for you he is unqualified he may be everything that the world looks for but he's not what the church ought to be looking for and that's the case across the, the world today. That's the problem. Many of these men that are standing in pulpits, they're everything that the world wants. They're everything that people look for. They're the CEO, the, the building a church and building a brand. and They're entertaining and cool and, and likable and funny. But most of these men that are standing in pulpits today that are the most popular across America are not qualified according to God's standard. They are unqualified. They might be what the world looks for, but they are not what God looks for. And you say, Josh, how, how do we know what God looks for? Well, God has made it very clear. He tells us, He gives us His qualifications, and, and we, we, we need to ask more importantly than anything else in a church, what does God look for in a pastor and not what the world wants in a pastor? Amen. And I think that the, the problem here was in, in 1 Timothy, and I'll, I'll jump into the passage, is it was a leadership problem. I believe if you're going to fix a church, you're going to go in and it's going to start from the top down. And, and so when Paul uh, writes this letter to Timothy, he's going to start at the top. And he's done it all the way through the letter so far that there's been a, a leadership problem. There's been false teachers that have come in trying to lead and trying to, to preach things that they shouldn't be preaching. There's been women that have been trying to lead. And, and he says, that's not their place. That, that's not who, who leads in the church. There's been wrong leaders. And, and it's been dangerous for the church. And it could destroy the church. Because if a big tree falls, then it's going to hit all kinds of small trees along the way so he says you've got to find the right man you've got to put the right people i think in, in chapter one and chapter two he says here's the wrong time and then he shows the chapter three and he says here's what you need to be looking for and he gives us god's qualifications it's god's church god gets to set the rules so here's the qualifications who can and who can't be the pastor of a church and he gives 16 qualifications in three different groups and with these seven verses, I think you can fix most churches across America. With these seven verses. Amen. If you could go into most churches and just say, preach one thing to fix the church, open up the Bible, preach these seven verses, and, and if they'd say, okay, we'll do it, you'd fix most churches in America. I think he's telling Timothy here, if you do this, it'll fix your church in Ephesus. If we do this in our church today, across America, it fixes those churches. If we just ask, what does God want, instead of asking what the world wants? It fixed most churches. So let's do that. And I think people in the pews ought to be asking themselves every time they go into a church, is that man qualified? That's the question. Amen. So let's look at the qualifications. What should we look for in a pastor? And again, I've broken it down into three groups. And they, and they break down real simply into these three categories. And I want to show you these 16 qualifications in three categories. Number one, I want to show you the pastor's personal life. And then we'll show you his private life at home. And then I want to show you his public life and how the people on the outside of the church look at him. So we're going to go from his personal life to his private life to his public life. We're going to look at the entirety of the pastor's life and see if he's qualified. There's really nothing that's not talked about here. I mean, he goes into every area of a pastor's life. So I want to show you, first of all, the personal life of a pastor. And we've seen there, verses 1 and 2, we, we preached that last time, but it says this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop... He desires a good work. This is an honorable work. This is a high calling. And because it's such a high calling, I, I think it's even the highest of callings. That there are no, there is no higher calling in all the world than to, to be the pastor of a church. Because it's such a high calling, it says in verse 2, the, the bishop must then must be absolutely necessary that he is this. 
No compromise. He must be, first of all, blameless. And I think this is the one that's, that's over the top of all of them. This is the, the main character qualification of a pastor is that he must be blameless. He must be above reproach is what this word means. And, and that's, a, that's a high, high qualification. You say, what does this mean? First of all, it doesn't mean perfect. Because if the qualification here, blameless, meant perfect, then there would be nobody qualified to be a pastor of a church but Jesus Christ himself. So this isn't perfect. This isn't has never sinned. This is, the standard is high, but the standard is not perfection. This word means that he lives a life without blame. That he lives a life beyond accusation. And there will be accusations made against the pastor. That's how it goes. There will be fingers pointed at him saying he's this and he's that. But this word blameless means that no right finger of accusation can be pointed at him. That they'll make accusations, but those things aren't true. That no right finger of accusation. That, that you couldn't point a finger at him and find anything in his life that is out of the way. That's a high calling. That people are going to look at his life and say, Let, let's look all over his life. And there's, there's nothing I can pinpoint that says he's got something going on in his life that he shouldn't. Wow. No right finger of accusation. That his life isn't marred by, hey, there's some sin. Or, hey, there's some vice. Or, hey, there's an evil habit in his life that it shouldn't be. There's no right finger of accusation that can be nailed down on the pastor. There could be, again, accusations, but those things aren't true. There's been all kinds of things said about me and and other pastors that that aren't true. But there are things that you could look at and say, is there anything true in his life? And if you can't find anything, and some of you are sitting there right now saying, "Let's, let's see what we can find on Josh, you know. Look and see. And there's nothing that can be nailed down. You call the man above reproach. He's blameless. There's no lying. No cheating. No adultery. No stealing. The man must be blameless. Amen. And he has to be blameless because he has to be someone that can be followed. That you could stand up in a church and the pastor can say, as Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. And when you say follow me and people actually follow you, that you're not going to lead them into some vice or sin. That they could say, I'm going to do that. My pastor does that. And it's going to be a sin. So a pastor must be blameless because a pastor is the ultimate leadership is to be an example. It's not really what you say. It's how you live. It's the example that you set. What the pastor is, unfortunately, is what the church will become. And the longer a pastor is there, the more the people will start to look like him. And act like him and be like him. So a pastor must stand up and be blameless. He must be a model. He has to be an example. He has to be flesh and blood example of what he teaches. Man, that's high. And because of that, and I'm going to move on from this one. This one is the longest one out of all of them. Don't think I'll spend all this time on all 16 of them. Because he must be blameless, an example for the flock, so that you can stand up and say, follow me. He will be, look at it this way, he'll have the spotlight on him for people to follow him. He'll have the spotlight on him for the devil to attack him. Because if the devil can get this guy brought down, he's going to bring down a whole lot of other people who's following him with him. And we've seen so many pastors that have been taken down, and we'll look at that here in a minute, that have been taken down out of these character qualifications, and it's ruined and destroyed people, and it's ruined and destroyed churches, and it's ruined and destroyed the reputation of the church and of Christianity because Satan has been able to bring down the man of God. It says there at the end, verses 6 and 7, look at this. I found this fascinating. Verse, at the end of verse 6, it says, So that he won't fall into the condemnation of the devil. At the end of verse 7, so that he won't fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It's almost like he's warning Timothy that whoever this is that's going to stand up and be the example before the church is the very one that the Satan that Satan will attack more than anybody else. That he'll have a bullseye on him. We see it over and over and over, the pastor's fall. That Satan's going to do everything to ruin him. Most importantly, Satan's going to do everything he can to disqualify him. You can keep your gift of teaching and preaching but you can destroy your qualifications. And many have destroyed their qualifications. So he must be blameless. 
Someone who has all these, the rest of them. And I, th- I think, again, this is blameless. And what does blameless look like? All these other ones that fall in line underneath it. I think blameless, again, is the umbrella. And all these other ones are underneath it. Blameless in every other area of his life. Let's, let's look down at the list. And this is a long list. Number one, he must be the husband of one wife. And, and I don't think, and you can disagree with me on this, I don't think he's talking about divorce here, that you can never be divorced. I don't think that's here. I think you can go down maybe and make that argument under, he's got his house in order, but I don't think you can make that argument here. And I don't think this means that he, ha- that he can't be single. And people have used that. He has to have a wife. You can't have a, a single pastor. I think this is, and I don't think this is polygamy. I don't think that was an issue in that day where a pastor would stand up and he'd have five or six wives. I don't think that's the issue here. I think the issue here was purity. I think sexual immorality was rampant in that day. And, and I actually read a, a church history thing uh, uh, earlier this week that said it was much like today, maybe even worse, sexually. You'd go to church and they had temple prostitutes in the, in the temple. And, and there was women in the church in verse 9 that says they were, they were dressed like prostitutes and they'd come uh, parading themselves into the church and, and trying to get men. It was said in one of those commentaries that I read this week that the only people who wasn't in sexual sin were people who wasn't good looking. Uh, that, that means that most people were, was, was falling into this, into this, into, into sexual immorality in some way. Everybody was sleeping with everybody. So he said, if, if, if the pastor must stand up and he must be the example of sexual purity, which means he must have, not just that he's married to one woman, because you can be married to one woman and have eyes for other women. What he's saying here is, this man must stand up And he must be an example of having his eyes only on one woman. You got got the the temple prostitutes out there, and you got women parading themselves in here. That standing up behind the pulpit and leading the church is a man who only has eyes for his wife. That she has his eye, and she has his heart, and he sees no other women in any other way other than his wife. He's a one woman man. And we know this. This one thing has put more men out of ministry than any other thing. Satan will attack in this way. So the pastor must have eyes only on one woman, his wife. Second, he must be vigilant. I like this one. He must be clear-headed. We're just going to go down the list. He must be clear-headed. He must be on guard. This vigilant would be like he's standing on the wall of a a castle watching for, for people coming in. He's got to always be alert. He's got to always be clear-minded. He's got to always be, be looking, always thinking in the right way. He's got to be acting quickly so that if he sees anything coming, he can act in a, in a, quick, uh, in a split second. He's got to be able to make wise decisions. He's got to be level-headed. pastor must always be on the spot, ready to make a decision, always got his eyes wide open for everything that's going on around him and in the church. Amen. Vigilant. Wow. Third, sober. Means he's self-controlled. This isn't talking about drinking. We'll get to that one. This is talking about the order of his life, that he's disciplined. He's well balanced. His life isn't chaotic. His life isn't sloppy or out of control. But even his life, if he's going to have a church that's decent and in order, then he must have a life that's decent and in order. That everything's lined up. Everything's decent. Everything's the way it should be. Everything is lined up in his life. He rules his self well. Next, he must be of good behavior. <laughs> I thought this was funny. Same word that's used in verse 9 for women adorning themselves. Verse 9 says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves. It's outward beauty. I thought, is this word means that a pastor must be good looking? Then I am qualified. <laughs> that's not what it means but it means to be respectable that when people see him they see how he acts that he's not foolish he's not silly he's not a clown that he's somebody that you could look at your kids and say look up to him respect him you see his life you see how he behaves himself he lives in in a respectable way he adorns his life with good behavior The pastor must be able to rule himself before he can rule the church. Keep himself in line. Next, he must be given to hospitality. He pursues hospitality. Simple, 
He loves strangers. He has his door open. He's not a recluse. He's not closed off. His home is open. His life is open. His office door is open. He's somebody that when he walks through the church, that he's, he's not staying in his office until the church service starts, and he's coming up behind the pulpit and preaching and then going back to his office, and nobody talks to him, nobody sees him. That you can go knock on his door, and his door's always open for you to let him in. It's one of these things that I struggle with because I have people on one side telling me you need to keep the church doors open so that anybody who wants to can come in and see you anytime they want to. And then I've got people over here like my wife and my mom and other people in the church that says, no, you can't do that today. You've got to keep the church door locked and you've and you got to be able to keep all those bad people out. And I'm sitting there saying, I do need to be safe and, and, I, and I do need to have my door open and, and it's hard to be both. But you've got to be hospitable. Amen. That's what it says. His home and his life is, is all open. Man, that's, that's tough for a pastor. His life is just open to all to see. Arms always open. I've, I've said that in sermons repeatedly. That a pastor says it's got to be like Christ. That his arms are always open. Was Jesus not like that? That he would say, let the children come. And, and people flock to Jesus. And, and there was no pushing away. There was always gathering in. And people just loved to, to even The disciples would lay their head on, it, on his shoulder. They must know that was okay. Jesus was the most hospitable man that ever lived on, on earth. And pastors must do the same. Here's the only gift. I don't even know where I'm at. Hospitality, apt to teach. That's the giftedness. He's got to be able to teach, not to coach, not a motivational speaker, not a businessman. The number one gift of a pastor is to be able to teach clearly the Word of God. To be able to open it up and people be able to understand what you say. Not that he wants to teach, but that he is able to teach. You with me on that? Not that he wants to teach. There's a lot of people that that want to teach, but there's not a lot of people who can teach. And it's not even that people who teach know whether they can or not, but you better believe the people in the pews will know whether the person can teach or not. That's why I think the church ought to confirm the gift in, in a man. They ought to be able to look at him and say, I know he's got the gift of God on him that he can teach because when he opens up the Bible, it is made very clear to me what it, what it says. He's got that gift. So you have to have this gift. And, and this gift is given from God by the Spirit and the church says, yes, he's got it. He must be able to believe the Bible, and interpret the Bible, explain it, Apply it, live it, but I think you got to make it clear. This is what it says. Here's your one. I don't know what number it is. I didn't. I didn't write them down at what number it is. But he's apt to teach. Verse three. Not given to wine. This is a, not a drinker. If he boozes, he loses. <laughs> As simple as it says, a drinker can't lead the church. Do you want your pastor to be found in a bar on Friday night? Uh, Do you want that when you go out to eat at a restaurant on Friday or Saturday night and you look over at the bar and there's a pastor boozing and he's drinking? And you look at him and say, there's there's my pastor. And there's a lot of churches today that want that. Oh, oh, he he lives loose just like I can live loose because if he can do it, then, then I can do it. They want a pastor who sets a, a low bar. But the bar is high for the pastor because the pastor is setting the bar for everybody else. Amen. When it says a pastor shouldn't be drinking, I think that's the example that everybody else should follow. They shouldn't be doing it either. Amen. This is God's standard. I don't think He's given me one and not saying you need to do it too. He's not a drinker. Amen. For obvious reasons. <laughs> obvious reasons. You want your pastor to be a drunkard? Imagine that. Then on a Friday night, the pastor's out boozing at a bar somewhere, and then somebody dies. Somebody needs help. Somebody needs to be called to the deathbed. Well, I'm going to have to sober up before I can go to the deathbed. No, no. You don't, your pastor's not a, uh, not a drinker. Not only is he not a drinker, he's not a striker. I like this one too. He's not looking for a fight. Let me add this. He's not looking for a fight. That doesn't mean he's... He's also not afraid of one. But it says he's not looking for a fight. He controls his temper. You see that? Not a striker. He's not quarrelsome. He's cool-headed. He's a peacemaker. Trying to keep peace as best as he can. 
He's not going out looking to fight somebody in the church. He's not trying to, to split the church. He's not trying to, to stir up strife within the church. He's not getting on Facebook on the, on the comment section and saying, Ooh, I can get this guy. Ooh, I can fight this guy. Ooh, let's get this one stirred up. That's not what the pastor is. He's not a striker. He's not somebody who wants to quarrel all the time. Amen. Let's keep going. And again, if, if, if it's expected of me, I need to be modeling that to you. He's not greedy. A filthy lucre. You know what else has brought down more pastors? I think this is number two besides sexual sin. It's trying to get money. Not greedy, a filthy lucre. He's not in it for the money. I believe wholeheartedly that the church ought to provide for the pastor. Amen. But I don't think the church should provide for the pastor to be rich. Amen. I think the, church, the pastor should be having his needs met. And I think it's a sin for the church not to meet the needs of a pastor. Amen. But I think it's a sin for the pastor to want more than his needs. Amen. I think there needs to be a balance there. The pastor's not in it for the money, but he's getting his needs met. And again, this isn't about how much money that you're going to look at, at the budget and say, we need to keep him in line. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think some of, the, some of the richest people I know don't love money. But some of the poorest people I know can be love money more than rich people can. The pastor cannot be a lover of money. Not in it for the money. Let's keep going. You see this, and I'm going to stop about halfway here. I'm not even halfway yet. I just wanted to encourage you. If you see this, and you're saying, this is a lot for me to take in tonight. Just think, this is the highest standard in the world for any position in the world. This is what God expects out of, his, out of his men to lead his church. This is God's people, God's church, God's flock, and he doesn't let just anybody in the position. I believe it's like a funnel that every single one of these narrows it down to who can be a pastor. And it gets narrower and narrower and narrower as it goes. Let's look at the next one. Patient. This word literally means he puts up with a lot. <laughs> He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't keep a list of wrongdoings. He has a short memory. Amen. Richard Baxter, an old Puritan, said, We must bear with many abuses and injuries from those whom we seek to do good. You've got to be patient. That's a hard one. Not a brawler. I think it goes right back to <laughs> the striker. But this word here means he's a gentleman. That he doesn't handle his problem with his fists. He's gentle. Amen. I think that describes an elder or a shepherd, that he's a gentle man. I think it described Jesus, that he was meek and he was gentle. And it ought to describe any pastor who's qualified for the ministry. That you ought to look at him, and I know he's hard, I know he's tough, I know he preaches... And, and I'm not talking about me, but I think a pastor should preach hard. And I think he, the, the harder he preaches, the softer the hearts and the pews will be. Amen. I think you've got to preach hard, and you've got to be bold, and you've got to be confident. There's the song we sang earlier, the cowards in the, in the fight will find no place. I think you've got to have that. You stand up in the pulpit, and you're so bold and so confident and so, so sure. And, and you lay it out, and you point the finger, and you step on toes. But when you step outside of that pulpit, you've got to be gentle. And kind and loving and gracious. That's what Jesus was, and that's what He calls us to be. Be a be somebody that can be approachable, not covetous. I'm almost done with the personal life. He's not covetous. Again, He's not always wanting more. I don't think this is necessarily about money. It can be. Because you see a lot of pastors that are, that are always climbing the ladder. And they're going from the smaller churches to the bigger churches because they're never satisfied anywhere they are. They're covetous of more. They're not content. I think a pastor ought to be content. I think there, there ought to be a, a, a... People ask me that. They'll, they'll say, are you moving on up? You know, away from the west side? <laughs> or the west end? 
And, and, and they say, is that what pastors do? They go from the, the smaller churches and then they build up to a medium-sized church and then they're at a mega church or they could be at, a, at the biggest church in town and they have a, a bigger budget with more people and a bigger salary and all these bigger things. And, and I, I'm like, I'm not, I am content with where God has placed me. I don't think a pastor ought to be climbing the ladders. Be satisfied with where God put you. I've said that here. God would have to almost audibly speak to me. Send an angel down like he did to Mary and Joseph and say, Josh, you gotta leave. And I'd still be like, I mean, I I don't know. (laughs) I'm content. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. Let me give you one more. And it's down in verse 6 because it fits with the personal life and I'll move on. He's not a novice. Um, it says he's not new or not immature spiritually. This doesn't, I don't think this has anything to do with age. I think it's not he, that he's not spiritually immature. That he's a mature believer. That he's one who can handle the, the, the position. There's one who could handle, and I tell people this all the time, there's things that happen in church that I wouldn't dare hand over to my kids and tell them what's going on because they are spiritually immature and they couldn't handle some of the things that a pastor has to handle. So if you're going to stand up in a pulpit and, and lead a church, there's going to be a lot of things that's going to fall on your shoulders. And if you're spiritually immature, you won't be able to handle those things. And I'll say this too, there's a lot of times, and it's not all the time, but there's a lot of times you get a little bit of, of patting on the back as a pastor. You'll preach a good sermon, you'll walk out, and even you know, as you're walking out and the deacon's praying, you think, man, that was something else. And you think, yeah, I mean, they better pat me on the back today. Share that thing on Facebook, you know. And, and you have a good Sunday and everything goes well. I, I was at a coffee shop in, in Big Stone not so long ago. I think Brandon was with me. And I was sitting there drinking coffee and, and, and a lady walks up and she says, Hey, there he is! I was like, Lord, what? And she walks up to me. I mean, Brandon can, can attest to this. And she said, I watch you all the time on Facebook. I love you! And I'm, I'm sitting there like, yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm like a celebrity, you know? You can easily get puffed up and think, yeah. I mean, there's times of that. Where somebody pats you on the back and things go well, and you're like, yeah, I am all that. And a spiritually immature person wouldn't be able to take that. Look what it says in verse 6. That you're not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride. That you get the big head. That you think you're something else. I know the Bible. I'm leading the church. I've got followers. People are listening. People are loving it. I'm so great. And you get so prideful and so full of yourself that you'll do exactly what Satan did and you'll end up falling because of pride. A spiritually immature man can't handle that. So you just can't throw somebody up there that's just gotten started. That's new to all this. He'll either be buried in the weight of of what goes on in the pastorate or he'll be lifted up and, and so great and so good at this that he'll fall out of pride. You've got to be able to shoulder this stuff. Spiritual maturity can handle it without falling into pride. So that's his personal life. And we can stop right there. That's a lot. I've got two more points left. That's a a high standard for men, right? Let's move on. I want to go into his private life at home. If, if looking at his, uh, just his own personal life wasn't enough, now let's go into his house. Let's open up the door to his home. Let's walk in. And there sit his kids. And there sits his wife. And understand this too, that it is a man having a wife. And a man leading a home. I want to say this now. There's no woman in the history of the world who's been qualified to be a pastor of a church. Amen. That's just bit the Bible. Amen. And not every man is qualified. So let's look at his private life at home. It says here, one that rules his, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know, know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the, the church of God? Again, it's men that are pastors. The man is ruling his house, and the man is ruling the church. But it says he's ruled his own house well, and he's got his 
children under control. So now it's bringing my wife and my kids into this. Isaiah, now you're involved in this. Gracie Bell's involved in this. Christian is involved in this. Uh, Emma and Hallie are involved in this. Steph is involved in this. You've got to look at not just his personal life, but now we're looking at his home life. He has to have authority over his own house. He has to manage his own house. He's the manager or the leader of his home. He's got his house in order. That means his, his home is biblically ordered, that he is the authority in the house and his wife is in submission and she follows and underneath that is, is his children. And he's got the husband in his role and the wife in her role and the children in, in their role. That their home life now must be a model for every family in the church. Wow. Wow. And this in submission here, look, look at it. His house in, in subjection or children in subjection is a military term. To line them up, keep them under control. Can you imagine that? They've all got to be lined up exactly how they should be. Titus 1.6 says that he has to have faithful children. Wow. That they come to church and they sit and listen and they believe what he says. I can't control what they do when they get out of my house, but when they're in my house, I need to be able to manage them well. I've seen many pastors fall because their family failed. This is where I think you get into some of the divorce things. I don't think it's the, the, the husband of one wife. I think it's in the home. If he can't rule his home and he's got evidence in his life that he can't rule his home well, then how, how in the world? And that's the reason here. How in the world can he rule the church? Amen. If he can't manage his home, which I believe the Bible teaches, that your home is a little church. I don't know if you guys get that. But the, the, the father's the pastor. And he's got his little congregants, and my little home is, is bigger than maybe some of y'all's homes. I've got a big congregation at home. <laughs> if he can't manage and rule his home, how can he manage and rule it bigger here? So he's got to check his house. And it says he's got to do it well. Do you see that? One that rules well. I would underline well. Not that he rules his house, but he does it in the right way. He does it excellently, beautifully, lovely. That's what that word means. That people see his family, this is what the word means, beautiful. That people see his family and they admire it. And they say, that's how a family ought to be. That he takes good care of his home. And that he does it with, look at this, with gravity, with all gravity. The word there is all dignity. With all honor and respect and love. That he's not a dictator in the home but that he orders his house with love and respect and honor. This is a big, big job that pastors are called to do. And it's not even the job. This is, this is their home. And it says because if he can't rule well in his own house, how can he rule the church? How's he going to take care of the church? If he can't handle his money at home, how's he going to handle the money of the church? If he can't lead his wife and kids, how's he going to lead the, the church? The pastor must demonstrate leadership at home where he can't lead at the church. Amen. And every one of these, I want to keep, keep going, every one of these is narrowing it down. Who can and who can't be a pastor. He's just cutting down the field. It's, just, it's, it's, it's like the, the NCAA tournament. It starts with 65 teams and it narrows down to one. And every, every weekend, it's narrowing it down even more. You get your 32, and your 16, and your 8, and your 4, and your 2, and your 1. And it's just narrowing it down to who can do this job. And the last one is the, the public life. And I'll, I'll close here. Now we've got to go outside. We've, we've looked at his personal life. We've looked at his private life and his home. And now we're going to look at his public life and what people on outside of the church think about him. This one's scary. I can't control what people on the outside think about me. But look what it says. Moreover, <laughs> let's add another one on there. We've already done number six. It's not a novice. Not lifted up the pride. Verse seven. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. And it says he must. Again, that's necessity. You can't lower the standard. This is God's standard. You can't overlook any of these. So every one of these are important. He must have a good report on the Outside. I think this comes full circle. I think this started with blameless. And now we're going to come back with 
blameless even on the outside. That people in the church can't pinpoint something in his life and that those on the outside are looking too. I think some of those on the inside might look more than those on the outside, but everybody's looking at his life trying to find something to bring him down. So now we're on the outside and what they're thinking about him. This is his testimony. Not within the church, not with his family, but with outsiders, those in the community. How is he seen by the community? How is he seen by those that he ministers to outside the church? This is not that they agree with his theology. This is not that they agree with what he says or what he preaches because that's not going to happen. You're not going to have unbelievers out there who's going to look at him and say, yeah, I believe everything that guy says. That's not what this means. This means that they, they can get along with him. This means that, they, that he's not disagreeable. This means that he's not mean. That he's, that he's, he was a respectable man. That they could say, we don't agree with this preaching, but we really don't have anything else bad to say about him. Because they're going to look. I was at the gym the other day, and one of the, one of the guys that, that lifts weights at the same time as me, 5 o'clock in the morning, he walks in and he says, I was talking to somebody in the community about you this week. I said, oh, no. He said, they spoke so highly of you. He said, they're on the town council and they they say that you come and pray anytime they ask you to. And I know those people on the council don't agree with everything I preach. They don't agree with most of what I preach. But when I get up there and I go preach, and this isn't me tooting my own horn or patting myself on the back. But I want to make sure that when I go there, that I'm praying for each and every one of those men and women on that council and the mayor. And I'm praying for the town and I want them to know that I love them and that we support them, that we're behind them, that we're there for them. And, and they know we're what I preach. They know what we stand for here. But at the end of the day, they know that we care for their souls. Amen. I don't agree with everything he says. But I don't have anything else bad to say about him. I'll say this. How can the pastor reach people in the community if they don't respect him? So he must be well-respected or have a good report. The pastor is the most visible person in the church. And if the pastor is well-respected in the community, then the church will be well-respected in the community. And he adds, again, this is back to what we've already talked about a little bit. Lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. This is twice he mentions in, the, in verses 6 and 7, falling. He says that fall into condemnation, and he says fall into reproach. And I wrote down here beside it in my notes, fall times two, being a pastor is a scary thing to do. There's danger. Because that's exactly what happens. It happens almost daily that you read a headline, pastor has fallen. The first one, you're susceptible to fall out of pride. And the second one, you're susceptible to fall into disgrace. There's always the opportunity to fall. The devil will use a bad reputation, won't he? How many pastors have given the church a black eye? That's what this is, disgrace, reproach. That a pastor falls into adultery. And he gives the church a black eye. Not only the church, but Christianity. There goes another one. There's pastors that fail in the, in the 80s through the moral, moral, moral majority that still to this day have given a black eye to Christianity. And it's not just adultery. You see pastors that will fall into adultery. I saw a pastor just the other day, one of the biggest churches in America, and he was caught at a restaurant Kissing his female worship leader. How do you think that makes the church look to everybody else on the outside? That's what this is. That's what this falls into reproach. That if he doesn't have a good reputation and he's doing these things, then he's going to fall into into reproach or or get a bad reputation. And it's not just him that it hurts. It's not just his family that it hurts. It hurts the, the entire church in the community. Pastor can fall into embezzlement. How many times have you seen that? Or extravagance. Man, that, that, that'll hit them too. 
I mean, you, you got Creflo Dollar flying around in million-dollar jets. How does that look to the community? I mean, I, I don't know how that could have been Creflo Dollar named any better, making millions of dollars. I mean, you, you've got Joel Osteen. They found hundreds of thousands of dollars behind the wall in one of his bathrooms. And he won't even open the doors of his church to, to flood victims in Houston. How bad does that look? Does that not falling into reproach? That people, that he doesn't even realize that he's an ongoing joke in, in all of America? Because he's so extravagant in, in what he gets? Amen. I'll tell you another way we fall. We could fall into adultery, and there's many. This reproach or this bad reputation, adultery, embezzlement, extravagance, hatefulness. You can have a reputation of being the most hateful man in the community. Mean and ugly and, and nasty. And it gives your church a bad reputation. It gives Christianity a bad reputation when your pastor is known more for what he hates than who he loves, the Lord Jesus Christ. So pastors need to guard their reputation with those on the outside. We cannot be a man that stands up and says, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I agree that I, I, I serve before an audience of one. That the, the primary and, and the most important one that I want to please is God. But I care what you think. I do. And I should. Amen. And I care what they think. Because I should. Amen. I don't want to ruin a reputation. Because when I ruin my reputation, I'm ruining your reputation. And ultimately, bringing reproach upon my Savior. So yeah, I care. We cannot be people who say, who cares what they think? <laughs> Again, because what they think of the pastor is what they think of the church is what they think of Christ. We ought to care. And I think you ought to care about your reputation. I know I'm sitting here, I'm just hammering me. I mean, this week I did it as I was going through it. I was like, oh, it was just, I mean, I felt like I, I mean, like you may feel every time I preach at you. Just, just hammering, man. Body blows on me. And I'm sitting there saying, well, the, the weight of this, my personal life and my private life and my public life, but I'm not the only one. I'm standing up here as an example for all of you of what your personal life ought to be and of what your private life ought to be and of what your public life ought to be, that your reputation can ruin the church too. I was talking to a guy just the other day. He's in my office. I mentioned the church. I won't, won't name names. He said, I, I, I was asking somebody the other day, what are they known for? What, what, do, what do you think about them? He said, several people around me said, this is what I think about them. And this is what I think about them. And none of it was good. They're known for this. And they're known for this. And it was bad. And it was how their people were living. It wasn't even what they were preaching and what they were teaching and how their music was. It was how the people in the pews were living outside the church. And it was ruining the reputation in the church by how they lived outside the church. This is, this is all of us. Should not bring reproach upon Christ. Amen. We ought to care. So there it is, his personal life, his private life, his public life. And I think that's his whole life. Every last bit of it. And it comes back to that number one, all the way back around. That his personal life, blameless. Private life, blameless. Public life, blameless. That's what a pastor's called to be. Wow. So how do you close a message like this? I'll say this, anybody who's honestly and openly read this as a pastor and tried to apply this, their first thought is, how can I bear this weight? Will I collapse like an old chair? We had Gracie Bell, a little 16th birthday party yesterday, and, and you had, had all kinds of tables and chairs set up, and I went to sit down beside Steph. She had her, her little dinner, and I, had, I brought mine over there, and I was going to sit down beside, I've only got eyes for one, you know. And I sit down in that chair, and those four legs went, <laughs> I didn't go down. Nobody saw it. I mean, some of y'all were here, there yesterday, and not one of you saw it because I played it off so well. I don't think Seth saw it. She was sitting right beside me. Because I did sit down and said, whoa, <laughs> this chair can't bear my weight. 
And, and, and I, I got home last night and I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't all go all the way down with a cup of soup in my hands. But then I thought, you know what? I don't know that I, I can bear the weight of this right here. That I would collapse under seven verses of qualifications of a pastor. It's a burden that I don't think anybody can bear. And so just like I said this morning, reading these, put me on your prayer list. And in 2022, pray for me more than you ever have. I realize the high qualifications that are on me, and I realize the bullseye that is on me. And I need a supernatural power beyond me in order to do it. I can't do this on my own. So how do you close a sermon like this? You say, pray for me. Put me on your prayer list. I can't bear it. I can't carry it. I desperately need your prayers. Add me to your prayer list, not your complaint list. And second, don't just pray for me. One day you'll have to replace me. One day I'll die. I don't have any plan on leaving. But one day I'll die. And it could be tomorrow and it could be next week. I don't know. There's an appointment unto death and we have no idea what that date is. But one day I'll die. And the most important decision this church will ever make is who will replace me behind this pulpit. So know this. Whoever you put in here, this is the standard. These are the qualifications. Do not lower it for anyone at all. You may like him. You may think he's charismatic. You may think he's good looking. You may think he's young. You may think he's hip and clever and educated and cool. And you may think he has 3.6 million Instagram followers. And you think this guy will build a church and we'll grow the church and we'll have money and we'll fill the pews. And this is the guy we need. He says all the things right. But if he don't meet these seven verses and the qualifications of what God looks for in a, in a pastor, then you send him packing and you find a man who meets these qualifications. May there never be a pastor in this church who is not qualified to be the pastor of this church. I'll close with a quote. Two quotes, actually. I don't have the who said this one. It says, It is such an honorable, important, and useful office that if a man be put into it by God and made faithful and successful through life, that he may look down with disdain upon a crown and shed a tear of pity on the brightest monarch in all the earth. That's how high calling it is. And Will Sangster said this as he preached in Westminster Hall in London, and I thought this was fitting to close the sermon. Called to preach. Commissioned of God to teach the word. A herald of the great king. And a witness of the eternal gospel. There's no calling in the world like it. And I feel the same way. God help me to do what God's called me to do. And to be what God's called me to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I think it's very clear. I don't know how people miss these things. Maybe they miss it because they don't want to see it. But you'd have to be blind uh, not to see the qualifications and how high, high, high the qualifications are. The standard is for a pastor. And God, I I can't bear that weight. Um, I fail in so many ways. So God, I need your help. I need you as I feel like I'm crushed under the weight of this calling. I need you to pick me up and to help me. So please, God, help me to be the man that you've called me to be here. Help me to be an example to the church. Help my family to be an example for the church. Help me to be able to stand up in front of the church and to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Help me never, God, uh, Paul said it, to unqualify myself. Paul said he, he, he beat his body in submission so that he might never disqualify himself. So God, help me to do that, that I may never fall in the ways that this passage says. Help me to guard my life, to guard my heart. This is just a prayer for myself. Help me. And I, God, I pray for our church. 
as, as I try my best to lead, I, I pray that they would follow and that we would lead uh, and go all together closer to you. And help us, God, to be a witness to our community. That we would have a, a reputation of godliness and holiness and a reputation of preaching the gospel and opening our arms to the lost. Please help us, God, to have a good reputation as a church. Again, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the opportunity to study it tonight. I thank you for a church family that gathers to listen. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.